Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How do banks collapse? What happens to the economy when a major bank fails? And how can depositors keep their money secure? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. Fifteen years ago, the 2008 financial crisis devastated our nation's economy, sparking the start of the Great Recession. Bailouts, layoffs, and subprime mortgages went from being whispered in the banking industry to being the main talking points when discussing the crisis. The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank feels eerily reminiscent of the 2008 financial crisis, leaving bank customers across the nation with questions and concerns about the safety of their finances. So how did this all happen? Can you predict if your bank will fail? And is your money safe? Here to talk me through all of this and more is senior writer for The Wall Street Journal and expert on all things economics, John Hilsenrath. Hey, John, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay for me, but for a lot of other people, it's not going so well. Uh, I can imagine. Is your life crazy right now covering all this stuff? Uh, well, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, so my world gets interesting when banks start collapsing. Right. Interesting for you, not so much for other people, but I I totally get that. So we are talking about the failures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Let's just set the scene before we get into specifics. What unraveled over the course of last week and how in the world does a bank collapse? Well, uh, let me answer the second question first. How does a bank collapse? A bank collapses when the people that lend it money want it all back very fast. You know, we think of banks as being the ones that are the lenders, but banks actually borrow. Uh, When you put deposits in a bank, you're lending the bank your money with the expectation that you can get it out whenever you want. A run on a bank uh, is classic in financial history. It goes back centuries. And what happens is there's some sign of instability in the bank. Depositors get worried that their money is going to disappear. And they all show up at the door at the same time and say, I want my money back. Now, you know, if you've watched the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, you saw how this played out during the Great Depression ah. in the 1930s in small town America with George Bailey running a uh, running a savings institution. What we had was a modern run where a lot of people were doing it on their phones, on airplane tarmacs, uh, you know, reading Twitter accounts about Silicon Valley Bank and saying, I got to get my money out of here. That This is a case where it all happened very, very fast. Uh, and a bank that very few people had heard of on Monday was now making national headlines by Friday. So you say that uh, kind of what what starts a bank run is any sign of financial instability. What was the first yeah. sign when it came to SVB that 
it was it, it could collapse. And that's what scared everyone. And everyone started pulling out their money. Yeah, well, I mean, and th- th- this is where fingers start pointing at the regulators. Um, so the uh, SVB has a large portfolio of treasury securities. They're supposed to be really safe, right? The government always pays off its bonds. Um, but what's happened is the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates uh, very aggressively over the last year to address inflation. And when the Fed pushes up interest rates, it tends to push down the value of Treasury securities. So Silicon Valley Bank was sitting on a lot of paper losses. Now, um, if they held these Treasury securities until they matured, they would have gotten their money back. But because they were sitting on losses on paper and people started demanding their money back, they had to actually start selling some of these securities at losses. And the thing kind of took on a life of its own. But the the bottom line is what was underneath this problem was Federal Reserve interest rate increases, uh, lowering the value of Treasury securities. And that's one of the things that's scary about this moment is and this is what always what happens in a panic is people start saying, well, if it happened to Silicon Valley Bank, who who is going to happen to next? Mm. We know the answer to that now. It was Signature. Mm-hmm. So why why is Signature and SVB different? What as a person who has money in, in one of these other major banks, what solace or what alarm bells can you ring for them when it comes to their own banks? Well, I mean, I'll tell you about Silicon Valley. And again, this points to the regulators. There were a lot of red flags uh, around Silicon Valley uh, months ago. I mean, we knew about the paper losses. The Wall Street Journal reported the paper losses back in November. But beyond that, this was a bank that was growing very fast. And, you know, I've talked to regulators who've said that's always a red flag. You know, this is a bank uh, whose deposit base had more than doubled uh, in about 18 months time, what was going on was uh, during uh, and after the COVID crisis, the federal government was pumping a lot of money into the financial system. The tech sector boomed because everyone was sitting home watching Netflix and ordering Amazon. Hmm. And um, a lot of venture capital and tech money was being deposited into Silicon Valley Bank. It led to very rapid growth. When you see a bank grow as fast as Silicon Valley Bank grows, that's a that's a red flag. So, you know, I, I think that most people, you know, will be looking at their banks and and saying, all right, you know, is this a steady as she goes bank or something that's growing so fast that I can't keep track of it? That's one issue. You know, another worry right now, and I want to be careful about saying this because I don't want to spread panic, but um And this is a psychological thing. You know, a lot of households have concluded that the big banks, J.P. Morgan, Citi, Bank of America, are too big to fail. The government would never let them fail. And so some of them became worried about these mid, small and mid-sized banks and and wondering, well, if they have problems, are they going to get uh, rescued? You know, is my money going to be safe in them? And so I think that's kind of added added to the worries. I mean, I should say again, Silicon Valley Bank was was unusual in that it, it catered to these high-tech investors and it was growing very fast. And um, it, it was uh, very concentrated. It had a lot of money parked 
and these securities that had paper losses. So, you know, I always say in a moment like this, don't panic. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you want to have a level head about how you go about doing these things. But, you know, I'll say one other thing. Why did the, why did the government did what it did this weekend? Uh, why did it do what it did this weekend? Uh, the, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp said that even though the federal limit is $250,000 on uh, in individual deposits at a bank, it was going to backstop all of the deposits that went into Silicon Valley Bank. In other words, if you had a million dollars of deposits in SVB or two or five or 10 million, you were going to get that 1 million, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million back. And the reason they did this was to stop the panic. They, you know, they knew that if they didn't make those depositors whole, then people were going to wake up on Monday and say, all right, my, my bank might be next and they were going to pull their money out. So that the, the, the government, you know, whether you like, uh, government bailouts or interventions or not, the government, the, the government felt like, um, this was a case where they had to intervene to stop a panic. Mm. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I do want to get into the FDIC in a moment, but I there's something you said earlier I wanted to quickly follow up on. You said when you see a bank grow as fast as SVB grew, uh, that's a red flag. Why is that a red flag? Well, you know, so uh, uh, I'll give you a, a couple of pieces of the answer. One is that, you know, a bank is sitting on all these loans and it's sitting on all these deposits and it's got to have a certain amount of capital to, uh, you know, hold against the potential for losses. And, you know, what we've seen in the past, we saw this, for instance, with Countrywide Financial in the in the 2000s. Is sometimes when a bank is growing so fast, they're they're not increasing their capital in line with the risks that they're taking mm-hmm. on. And very often they're not take they're not improving or keeping up the risk systems that they've got to monitor risks in line uh, with the growth that they're taking on. And that was absolutely the case um, with, with Silicon Valley Bank. You could argue they made a very amateur mistake. You know, when you hold long-term treasuries, long-term assets and short-term deposits, you know, the, the short-term funds can disappear overnight and the long-term assets, you know, don't mature for a long time. It's called interest rate mismatch. And you know the risk management systems did 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 not um, keep up with the pace of the problem. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and I, when you talk about the FDIC, nearly all banks are FDIC insured. So can you just walk me through uh, for people who are unfamiliar with the FDIC, what exactly it does? I know it was established, you know, in 1933 because of the Banking Act, things like that. If you could just break it yeah. down for me. Well, so, you know, let's go back to our uh, George Bailey wonderful life example in during the Great Depression, a lot of banks failed and there were bank runs. 
people worried that their bank was going to be the next to fail. So whenever there was a whiff of trouble, they lined up outside of the bank. So they said, oh, I want my money back, you know, and because the banks had their money tied up in loans, you know, mortgages and business loans, they could they couldn't pay everybody off at the same time. So the solution was to create the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp, the FDIC. And the idea was to try to give individuals and businesses comfort that their deposits were safe even when the the market started getting unstable now um the the there are limits they tried to set limits on how much could be uh insured uh it, it, by the fdic that limit you know it's changed over time it's now two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per account you know, and, and individuals in the bank and markets are supposed to discipline themselves and say, all right, anything above that limit is not insured. And, you know, buyer beware, it's, you know, that's your own risk. So what what happens in these runs is that, uh, you know, people did put money in these accounts that go beyond the 250000 limit. Mm -hmm. And th that fear uh, overtakes them. And then the government has to make this snap judgment about whether it wants to extend its guarantees beyond the the limits that it had set. Now, where does the FDIC get its money? Yes, uh, that's my next question. The, the FDIC charges banks fees. So if you're a bank, you say, I'm an FDIC insured bank. You can rest assured if you're a depositor uh, that your money is safe here. Well, you know, it's like any business relationship, the, the FDIC, the banks have to pay the FDIC fees for that insurance coverage. And uh, the, the one of the risks is that if they guarantee a lot of deposits and a lot of these um, uh, banks start having trouble, then it might be on the hook for uh, the FDIC might be on the hook for for more money than it's built up in reserves mm. uh, from fees. Why why two hundred fifty k? How is that dollar limit set? Uh, it's a nice round number. Uh, <laughs> that sounds know, good to this us. <laughs> is, this is this is Congress, you know that 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 sets these limits, and it's up to Congress to decide if the limits need to be changed. Uh, but you know there 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 isn't a science to this in many cases. Uh, it's an art form. And, you know, I think 250,000 was seen as a blue collar number. You mm -hmm. know, anyone with money above that is a rich person. And therefore, uh, you know, we, we don't need to guarantee deposits above that. The problem is, and this is what we discovered in 2008, is that as unhappy as it makes people to bail out banks, our economy depends on them. Mm. No, uh, our economy runs on money and on credit. Um, you know, that's a lifeblood of economic activity. And when you cut out, it, when you take down the banking system, you know, and money and credit dry up, then you, you had their economic repercussions that could lead to unemployment. And so um, as distasteful as it is, the regulators find themselves over and over and over again you know, trying to make sure that our financial system is safe. 
Yeah, well, since you brought this up, um, these were the second and third biggest bank failures in U.S. history. The biggest was Washington Mutual Bank. That happened back in 2008. 2008, as you're saying, obviously ravaged by the financial crisis. So what parallels can you draw between 2008 and 2023 and the current economic condition we're in now? So first of all, um, the economic backdrop and the nature of this panic, the kind of fundamental issues underlying the panic are, are somewhat different. So and by 2008, the, the United States had been through a mortgage boom and a housing boom uh, that were very rapidly unwinding. And a lot of mortgages were going bad. There was a lot of bad credit out there. Uh, households were being foreclosed upon. Banks were sitting on mortgage loans that weren't getting paid back. And so there was a lot of rot in the credit system, so to speak. Uh, and that's what caused the banking panic that the um, the authorities had to respond to. Um, the unemployment rate had already started rising by the time, quite, quite a bit by the time Lehman Brothers had collapsed. You know, right now we're sitting in a situation where, I mean, the, the housing market has has slowed down. But it slowed down because the Fed raised interest rates very aggressively, not because there was a lot of shoddy mortgage lending being done. Um, the, the the source of concerns right now is the effects of the interest rate increases on things like mm. treasury bonds. And, you know, so whenever you see a panic, very often the kind of the, the roots or the trigger is different. What do you call it in music? You know, the light motifs are the, are the same. So in any of these panics, you have people worried that their money isn't safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether that's at Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers or Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank. And so they race to pull their money out at, at, at the same time. Uh, money that's supposed to be accessible on short notice and panic sets in. And and so, I mean, what what's similar between this past week in 2008 was this element of panic. Um, you know, we've got to spend a little bit of time figuring out is whether there's the same rot at the bottom of the system that turned the crisis in 2008 into an existential crisis that almost sent the country into a, into a depression. You know, right now, the unemployment rate is very low, uh, 3.6%. The job market has been very strong. Uh, defaults and delinquencies by by households on mortgages has not been rising anywhere near the, the pace that we saw in 2008. So, you know, I think it's important not, you know, to try and, uh, you know, not to alarm people if you don't have to. And 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 in this case, there, there's certainly some real strengths to the economic backdrop. But I mean, the real wild card is that the Fed raised interest rates so aggressively in such a short period of time to stop inflation that it might have caused some, you know, some real disruption uh, for financial institutions that that depend on these treasury securities, not only as investments, but as collateral for a lot of other transactions that they do. We'll be right back after this. I'm curious because you brought up at the beginning of this um, kind of the consequences on our economy. So what do we look for when talking about the economy and how does this affect just a regular person walking down the street. Yeah. Well, um, so, I mean, certainly it causes uncertainty for, for anyone who's watching the news. 
it, it, it causes uh, some indigestion for investors who are watching their stock portfolios go up and down. Um, but, you know, what you really have to watch is, is, is whether these re repercussions of these events keep happening. So, um, you, you know, the crises like, like we saw in 2008, they, they tend to happen in these waves, uh, where, you know, you, you had in March, 2008, you had Bear Stearns, uh, uh, unraveled towards the brink of collapse and then ended up getting sold to JP Morgan, you know, and then there were kind of, uh, and with the help of the federal reserve and, and then that the, there were kind of months of stability and then it came back and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, got under the target of the markets and then Lehman brothers. So you kind of want to see that, that things settling down and, uh, unfortunately, when when you get panics, it, it takes a little bit of time and a lot of work uh, by officials to convince people that the worst is over. Mm -hmm. You know, something else is uh, Reuters reported that SVP is exploring bankruptcy as an option for selling assets that include its investment bank and capital business. How would that work? You know, so the question with bankruptcy is that you, you have creditors, you have you have the bank depositors. Um but then you have other people who lent the institution money, including the federal home loan banks, and they want to get their money back too. And in a bankruptcy proceeding, you know, if it's like ABC widget company, then the creditors all kind of meet in a group and uh, they have to sort out who, who gets what based on the value of the assets in the company. Um, I, I'm not sure how that plays out when the, the FDIC is managing the process mm -hmm. oh, no. yeah you know you said earlier that you know people are pointing fingers we whenever something like this happens you always want to see or find out who is to blame right and the doj and sec have launched separate investigations into svb's collapse so two-part question what are they looking into and two what about this collapse falls under the jurisdiction of the doj and what follows or falls rather under the sec well, I mean, it's not just the SEC and the DOJ, it's also the Federal Reserve. Right. Uh, and I mean, the way it works is, you know, the Justice Department is going to go after institutions and individuals who, you know, might have, if they did commit any fraud, um, you know, they would face some kind of criminal um, penalty. Uh, the SEC would go after an institution or individuals individuals involved in some kind of securities malfeasance, you know, like, for instance, perhaps misrepresenting the financial statements if such a thing happened. And I and I'm not saying it did. I don't know. But, you know, uh, a, a criminal mal malfeasance and securities malfeasance are kind of they're, they're different kinds of malfeasance. And then the Fed uh, is looking at its own regulators and what they missed. Uh, whether they, they should have been sounding alarms sooner, um, yeah, whether they were aggressive enough, enough in pushing SVB to um, fix its situation. Mm -hmm. 
Last question I have for you, John, and I, I just like to wrap it, all of this up with a nice little bow of people listening. If they're nervous or if they're wondering what they should do, um, if you're listening to this podcast, what would your biggest advice be during this time? You know, my biggest advice would be to 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 know your own situation, right? So, uh, where 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 is your money? Uh, your, your liquid assets parked? Is it in money market mutual funds? Is it in uh, deposits that are federally insured? If it's in deposits that are federally insured, are they, uh, you know, are they below that two hundred and fifty thousand dollar limit, or are they above it? Um, so, and you know, what do you know about your bank? Is your is your your bank a reputable one? Uh, is it seen as is it seen as being uh, stable uh, in the event of? crisis or was it like a hot shot high flyer like Silicon Valley Bank was you know I would just be getting information um you know I think it's important to have your hands around the information before you make decisions and it's usually not going to help you to panic uh in a crisis um you know some of the worst decisions get get made in a crisis people sell in a panic and you know, sometimes they decide they realize that was the time to buy. Sometimes they buy in a boom and realize that that was the right time to sell. Right. So I don't need to run to the bank and withdraw a bunch of cash and put it under my mattress. I mean, I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to say that because I don't know your situation. But you know, you need to know your own situation and make the best judgment you can, uh, g- given the information that you have. And if it means calling up your bank and, you know, asking them hard questions, then by all means do it. And, you know, uh, and ask the follow-up questions too. But I can't sit here and say to everybody out there, you know, oh, you're fine. Uh, Because it it all depends on kind of how you position yourself and what kind of risks you've taken. Absolutely. Well, calling the bank and asking hard questions, that's the most reporter response you could have ever given me. (laughs) That's why you're uh, atop the best of the best. So, John, thank you so much for coming on. Good luck with all the coverage. I hope you can get some kind of sleep in there over the next couple weeks. But I appreciate you taking the time to come on with me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about bank failures. Number one, a bank collapses when the people who lend it money want it back really quickly. John says a run on a bank is classic in financial history, but the difference is in a modern run, a lot of people were doing it on their phones. Number two, John says while it might feel similar to 2008, we can't determine that just yet, which brings us to number three. He suggests don't panic too quickly, but get the information first. If that means asking your bank the hard questions, then that means asking your bank the hard questions. But get those answers before taking action. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 
Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.